This podcast came upon me by as a surprise. I got an email and a request from a publisher that there was a mom who'd written a story. And I have to tell you, I know quite a few moms who've written stories, but this one somehow just pulled on my heartstrings. And I was just so thrilled and touched to have such a beautiful conversation with my new friend, Marsha. She's written a book called Lighting the Path. And her story is so touching, so beautiful, and so profound. And it took me back to a time when I had just started treating children in their homes. And I ran across a little boy named David. And David was very profoundly involved. He could not hold his own head up or sit up or eat or communicate. And I found myself just struck by this profound, I don't know, awe of how just being humbled. Anyways, I just, I felt like I had to write it down. And I've published a book of poetry myself called Songs of the Soul, The Journey Within. And I wrote this poem for this little boy, David, and his mom. And I'm going to use it as an intro to this podcast where I have just a beautiful discussion with Marsha. So please enjoy the poem. This podcast is dedicated to all the special needs children out there and their caretakers, their parents, their therapists, their families members, and everyone who loves them. So this poem is called David's Smile. She said she just wanted to see him smile, even though she knew it might be a long while. Like other moms, she has hopes, it seems, that David would laugh, learn, and dream. But David cannot, at least not now, the mom will never give up and doesn't know how. To reach David, she knows he's in there, behind the confusion and sweet-tazzled hair. She loved to complain that he dropped her best vase or watched him play sports, slide into first base. David can't eat without help, you see. He doesn't respond to mom, dad, or me. But he is surrounded by love, that much is true, and David came here to teach me and you that life is not about having or doing, it's much more about loving and being. And David, we know you are in your own space, singing a sweet song and a smile on your face. Move, go, walk, and flow. This podcast, Special Needs in Motion, is dedicated to helping individuals learn to move and function at their best. Listen along to learn a little and maybe even laugh and be inspired. Please review and share so others can have access to our community. I'm your host, Ilana, a physical therapist, product developer, mom, wife, author, blogger, and podcaster. I love a great discussion, coaching the families with whom I work, and finding solutions. I love putting the fun and play into therapy. And it is a pleasure to be your host. Just a quick note, if you'd like to sponsor an episode, please reach out to me at specialneedsinmotion.com or just check the show notes. And any information shared here should not be taken as direct advice. You know the drill. Consult your local therapist, professional, or doctor before trying any suggestions.
Well, let's go. Hello, Elana. Hello, Marsha. I'm looking forward to hearing so much about you and your journey. Glad to be here, Elana. I've been listening to some of your podcasts, and I know I'll be diving deep into these. Okay, that sounds good. You know, I like to keep it a little bit of variety so that we can appeal to many different people in the special needs field, whether it's parents or professionals. And I just enjoy all the different conversations. And the benefit is that I get to learn a lot. So tell us a little bit about your background and maybe um, why you wanted to come on the podcast. I'm a lecturer at a university here in Trinidad and Tobago at the University of the West Indies. That is, uh, so, First of all, that is just so cool because you're definitely the first and only person I've had from Trinidad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it was always my dream to teach, but as an engineer, I just followed the other path, right? Sure. Um, I just kept, you know, really longing to, to, to teach. And eventually I found my way there about 15, 15 years into my career. Uh, when I got there though, I got pregnant with Emma, my second child, and, we had a little surprise in that Emma was born with four problems in her heart that um, we were told we had to wait until those problems worsened to the point where she needed open heart surgery. Okay. And by the time that happened, she was eight months old. We did open heart surgery in the States. Um, she was recovering in the ICU. And unfortunately, when they were taking her off the vent, I don't know what mistake happened, but they pulled out her tube and she bled out. Mm. Um, so she flatlined for 20 minutes. Wow. Typically, people get brain injured at about six minutes without oxygen. So mm -hmm. uh, what we eventually found out in the words of the doctors was that her brain got wiped. So that the, M the MRI of her brain didn't show any gray matter. It showed everything being white. Wow. And so they told us, your daughter has lost all her senses and she's lost the ability to suck and swallow. She had been seizing and the medicine wouldn't stop the seizures. So she was given twice the dose and she remained in a coma even past when she stopped flat, when, when, when her heartbeat started again. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you have heard stories like this. Uh, before, mm -hmm. but we were we were told that the prognosis for Emma was that she would be in a vegetative state for life. Um, we were encouraged to let her go, which which meant euthanize her or just don't fight for her, um, because the feeling was that she she would not be able to have any sort of life, and and neither would we. Um, there's there's a mix of of um of stories there's a religious side to it um when when we had nowhere else to lean while she was flatlined and the doctor had her had cracked her, her chest and they were massaging her heart with their hands trying to get the heart to beat again uh-huh um we got to 20 minutes and i remember holding my husband's hand sitting on the floor outside and i said I don't know what else to do, so let's pray. That's right. And the prayer, the prayer just said, 
up to that point, I had only prayed for God to help me to accept his will. Whatever it was, help me to accept it. And sitting there that night, I couldn't say it. So <laughs> I remember saying, you know, I I'm sorry. I know I, I should be saying this, but I can't say it. I want back my daughter. And, um, and the second that it came out of my mouth, her heart started again. Wow. And to be told by the doctor to let her go sounded like, oh, okay, if you say let her go now, Marsha, it means that you only wanted her in pristine condition because that's the only way you would have loved your child. And, and, and it didn't ring true because I was so blessed to have her back in whatever condition. Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest, the doctors told me I didn't understand that any hope I had was false hope. Uh, um, they actually, somebody actually told me I was being irresponsible to expect anything from Emma. And um, the, the facts were the facts. My child was back. And I had to just move forward. And so did Sean um, and my husband. So I made up my mind there with Sean that we only had so much energy. We only had so much that we could give. And the choices were you can use this energy to fight a lawsuit or you could use this energy to try to help your daughter. Which is it going to be? Mm, wow. I love that thought. I just want to pause there for a second because sure. it's so much about our choices and no one can stand in your shoes because no matter how similar someone else's experience might be to yours, nobody's had your experience. So no one can tell you how to choose. Exactly. But, but you, that, that is what, what makes us different or makes us human is the ability to choose that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I'm glad because when I was packing in Trinidad to come, I said, you know, I don't know if I will need uh, CDs. <laughs> Why would I need CDs? I don't know. But I packed classical music CDs, which I didn't really play too much in my real life. <laughs> but I took classical music CDs with me to the hospital. And then when my daughter lost her ability to hear, I started playing these CDs 24-7. And one day, her head turned toward the sound. Wow. And what that said is, slowly those senses were filtering back. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, we, what we did was we, we said, you know, I don't know when we come back to Trinidad how much we're going to get in the way of services. I don't know what the state of the art is here in my country. Um, so we we met a therapist there and we asked, could you all get us into a rehab facility just for a little while? Because we want to learn if we go back home and there's no help, at least we would know what we learn. Mm -hmm. And they put her in for one week in a rehab facility. And every day we would go to therapy and we would be <laughs> soaking it all up and you're trying to program your mind to never forget. Right. And you're paying attention because she she can't do much, but they, they're taking her body through it. And you have to look and see, okay, what is the occupational therapist saying to do? What is the speech therapist saying? And what is the physiotherapist saying? Because those were the three. Now, how old was she at this time? She was eight months old. 
And what was her functional ability at that time? In other words, was she able to sit up or? So, so the day before the surgery, she, she was starting for the first time. There was an activity center in her room mm-hmm. and she was bouncing up on her little legs and trying to stand for the first time to press some button. Um, after the, after the, 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 um, brain injury, she lost all the abilities. So she was, um, her arms were hyperextended. I describe it and I hope I'm not um, upsetting somebody who's listening, but her position of her body was like Jesus on the cross. Uh The arms were out to the sides and the two feet were down and the, Feet were so stretched out that when she lay down, her soles of her feet were flat on the bed. Okay, so she had like a lot of extensor tone. She was very, very um, high tone on the extremities and extremely low tone on the torso and neck. Mm -hmm. So floppy neck and and, and torso. Do you know, that's um, quite common. um, And I was just on the last podcast I did where I was speaking to a therapist and I guess maybe other therapists have understood this. Um, but I would say over the years, I always thought children were primarily either high tone or low tone. And it seems like a lot of kids with neurological challenge or injury mm-hmm. that they have this That's low, yeah, they have this low tone core and very high tone extremities. And it seems that the high tone extremities are almost in response to this really low tone core. So in other words, the brain mm-hmm. is not giving a good signal to the core. And in response to that, the extremities are like throwing off all this high tone to almost like compensate. So I just found right. that really interesting. Okay. Because the last, the last episode you had spoke about the fascia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and just seeing the word got me excited because I took Emmy last year for the first time to an osteopath. Mm-hmm. And she told us Emmy's fascia were extremely tight and it's reducing the ability. It's reducing her circulation. That's why she has purple feet sometimes and very, very cold extremities. Um, and it also affects just her ability to move and so on. So we've started doing dry brushing and doing some massaging of those fascia. That's great. Trying to stretch them a little bit and and help. So Mm -hmm. I know it's a journey, but that's where we are. Well, that's great. Well, the, the last podcast, she has a website. Anyways, you can listen to that podcast, but um, she, she would be a great person, (laughs) an expert (laughs) in that area. And I'm also fascinated with that as well as uh, respiration, you know, and breathing techniques and the effect that that has on the core. So I'm I'm probing into that a little bit more now to understand a little bit better. So I'm smiling because I have recently uh, started just teaching my my husband about deep breathing Uh uh, to relax his stress because sleeping with Em, Em doesn't sleep really through the night. She sleeps for maybe two hours total each night. Mm -hmm. Um, She has a lot of interrupted sleep and therefore so do we especially uh, Sean, who can still manage to lift her. She's nine years old now. Wow. Um, and so she's really, really tall and big, and it's it's hard for us to to manage now, especially in the night when she's sleeping. So um, 
So I was teaching him to breathe and then I was practicing deep breathing myself one day next to her. And I realized that every time I breathed out, she would breathe out. Um, <laughs> so, so I started with her to say, okay, let's breathe in. And when we breathe in, breathe in through the top of your head, pull it in the, in, the, in the core and I'm touching the parts of her. And then I'm running my arms down her legs, breathe out through your feet. <laughs> um, just trying to calm her and to relax her. And so that's our new little practice. Wow, I love that. And I love that there's this energy connection between you and your daughter. And, you know, so many parents and therapists were so focused on walking or sitting or rolling. And there's this whole sensory system that if we tap into it, it has such a profound effect on not just function, but connection with other human beings. And I don't think we give enough weight to that, you know, right. when we're working with children. What is, does she have, um, I guess I, I wanted to ask, like, describe her to us now at age nine. Okay. So, so, so M um, is multiple disabilities. Um, she does not see. She's been diagnosed as blind by an optic ophthalmologist um there are we are sure that she does see we believe this is just our home diagnosis right mm -hmm. we believe she has cortical visual impairment um very similar to how if your brain is hurt you can no longer figure out how to move your leg and therefore if your brain is hurt it makes sense that maybe you won't understand the messages coming in through your eyes as well mm -hmm. right so when we were reading up, we were like, you know, we think she's perceiving light. Um, so, I, you know, just doing research because you don't know what else to do except learn. Um, we decided, you know, maybe it's cortical visual impairment. So we asked the ophthalmologist when she diagnosed them. And she said, you know, anything you think you're seeing, you are creating that. You're making a noise and your child's turning to the noise. She's not turning to the light. Well, now, today, this is maybe three or four years later, and with our, with our little home therapies, if I pass red or yellow in front of him, she tracks it. Wow. So she is slowly, I know it's slow, but slow is miraculous for us anyway. Mm -hmm. She is slowly developing. She was mute. We'd only see a tear coming down her face. There'd be no sound if she was in pain or something. Now she laughs really, really full-bodied kind of laughs. Wow. Um, she has about four words. She says, Dada. It's her favorite, favorite person in the world. She says, Auntie, which is auntie. And auntie refers to me. And it refers to the caregiver who comes as well sometimes. And she says, Alala. And that means I love you. Oh, my gosh. That is so beautiful. Um, so we, we un I guess it's intuition that helps us to communicate with them mostly. But just getting some sounds that make sense, those have been miraculous. Mm -hmm. For a few years now, we've realized that M has been receiving language. Outputting language is harder for her than receiving. 
But about two years ago, we had a team come down. I think they were from Texas. And they did a follow-up scan of Emmy, of her brain. And they told us, do you think that Emma is understanding more? And we said, well, we've been saying this for a few years, but everybody says, you know, we're making it up. They said, well, we now have physical proof. One side of her brain had started to grow. Wow, that's fantastic. So they said um, the, re the, the receptive side, the language reception side was being developed, and most likely because we were trying to talk to her. And I heard in this, the, the podcast two before this one where you were speaking to a parent who was a language teacher. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, she said, you need to let children children's voices be heard and and I heard clearly although she didn't say it in those words that even when the child doesn't have a voice you need to allow them to speak mm -hmm. and and that's what we've been doing with Em so Em can't tell me that she wants another mouthful but I will ask do you want another mouthful if you do raise your hand and that little hand although she can't raise it much comes up by a few millimeters and that tells me, okay, I really like this food. Could I have another mouthful? Um, so you're giving her choices. We are. Um, kisses are the biggest one. You know, do you want another kiss? Mm -hmm. Swallow the water and you'll get a kiss, that sort of thing. Um, and she has her own playlists. There was a point some years ago where we realized I was, I was playing music for my husband to try and calm him down and de-stress him. And then all of a sudden I realized he had these pop, pop songs he loved and he would play them all the time. And then when I didn't play them, Emma would not go to sleep. So we realized that she had some favorites. Uh -huh. And we made her her playlist with um, Let Her Go Passenger, All of Me by John Legend, and a couple others. And she had to hear those four songs before she went to sleep or else she would stay awake. So she knows what she wants. She definitely knows. So that was, that was like news for, for us that Emmy could discern, that she could remember, mm -hmm. and that she could, you know, have such a love for these things that she would not be ready to sleep unless she heard mm -hmm. them. So we have now maybe about five different playlists for her. Um, she listens to nursery rhymes, action poem kind of nursery rhymes, as well as normal nursery rhymes. She listens to old music like The Carpenters and The Temptations. <laughs> <laughs> she listens to pop music, um, all coming all coming forward to today. Um, if I hum the tune of the song, she kicks her legs because she recognizes the tune. So obviously I wanted to test the other, so I took the tune away and I said the words of the song and she kicked her legs. Um, so we have some serious language reception and recognition and that's brain power that we didn't think Emmy would ever right. have. Does she still get, or what, what does she do for therapies? Like, is she getting therapies? Uh She's getting therapy. Uh, what we realize, and this was the beginning of the understanding of energy issues. When Emmy went into her room, when she, when she first came home, 
um, we started to take her to a physiotherapist. But every time we took her to the therapist, the therapist's eyes would fill up with tears because Emmy was so sick that she would throw up oh. all the time. She she had a um, a gastric a gastrostomy tube at that point, and um, she couldn't lie down. She would throw up all the time. She was always in pain. She had suffered a chemical burn at one point at the hospital. Um, and all these things, you know, were sort of getting in the way of her being comfortable and being able to relax. And what people saw was such a hurt child that they didn't have hope that she could do anything. And apparently she sensed if people were hopeful for her or if they had given up on her before they ever interacted with her. Wow. So when I took her to a therapist who said, there was one therapist who said to me, Marsha, one day Emma is going to go to school. And I didn't believe it at the time, but that therapist had more hope than even me. And Emma responded to her in such a warm way. So we took her to that therapist who was an hour and a half to two hours away because we had found the person with the right mindset for her. The other therapist who always cried, she told me Emmy wasn't able to do anything. And she was very, she was very much a fatalist who had said that would be it for him. Every day when I got home from that trip and we stopped the car in front of the driveway, Emmy would sigh. She would go, ah, like I've reached my safe space again. I'm back in my home. Uh-huh. And I started to understand that Emmy was able to tune in to whether she fit with somebody's energy or whether she didn't. Wow, that is so powerful. You know, the energy that we put out as therapists working with children or with our, or, or as parents or as teachers. Yeah. That's amazing. I did mention about going to school and about four years later, about three years ago, Emmy did start going to preschool. My Emmy's still bedridden. She can't sit up on her own. She can't raise her head on her own. She can't speak. She can't see. But she did go to special. She did go to to to, to preschool. Um, and she went to preschool for about three years. What got in the way was COVID. When when COVID measures came, I thought it would be safer, so we just took yes. a holiday. Um, but M has been going to that preschool, which is my son's preschool. He went six years before. Um, and those people are not her teachers. We just visit. But they've made crafts with their children and, and Emmy's been sick. And they have said, this wall hanging for our wall is not going up until we get Emmy's handprint oh, on it. That's so nice. I got a call one day and the lady said, you know, we're making this gift for the lady in the room, in the admin room. And we are waiting. We've been waiting for Emmy to come back out. And I said, well, she's too sick. I can't bring her. And they said, well, could you just bring her to stamp her hand? Because we can't give the gift without Emma. That day, I, I felt like the whole universe was hugging me. I felt for the first time that Emmy wasn't an outsider. Um, And this was to people who Emmy was not even enrolled in their school. We were not paying them. 
to be in their school. They were doing it out of the kindness of their hearts. And they loved my daughter as if she was one of them. That's the standard that I pray for, for all special needs people. That's where we're heading to. Yes. Yes. That is where we need to head to is acceptance and inclusion and compassion and and empathy where you understand what somebody is going through and you say, you know what, this is just one more difference on this, on the continuum of all the differences among yeah. all people. And patience, you know, like you're saying to stop and find out and be curious as to what um, we can offer or what they want as opposed to just doing something to them. Yeah. I learned that the doing to them, I learned that when we were in the hospital, when, when Emmy couldn't make any sounds, she was still close to comatose. You know, they call them, they say, you know, semi-coma or whatever mm -hmm. at that point. And, um, well, she, she had no senses. And I was hearing all these children crying all around. And, and my daughter had just had open heart surgery, but I couldn't hear her cry. And... Um, and I would see one tear coming down and I would know she was scared and lonely and in pain and she couldn't tell me. And um, and people would come up to her, her her bed and they would do things to her. They would stick things in her mouth. They would inject her. They would do a test. They would do an x-ray. But nobody would tell her, okay, Emma, we are about to do this. Right. And every day, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't wise enough to recognize this. This is in retrospect. I see this now. Um, but every day we, we would put a little cap on our finger and we would clean her, her teeth. Yes. Right? We would brush her teeth, brush her tongue, and, and, and it would be painful for her. And it would be horrible for her. And one day I, I, I sat back and I tried to figure out what is it that is so off-putting to Em? when I clean her, her teeth. And I realized that this too was a task that somebody was foisting on her. I'm walking up to my child. I'm, I'm sticking my finger in her mouth and I'm rubbing her mouth with a piece of plastic, a plastic toothbrush on, on my finger. And, um, and I realized there wasn't really, I love my child, but the act wasn't feeling loving to her. So, I did an experiment. I took the cap off my finger. I cleaned my hands and I used the, the, my index finger and I, I cleaned her mouth with my finger. I rubbed her mouth. I stroked that palate. I stroked all along the gums and I told her each step, mommy's going to touch your palate now, tongue now, cheek now. Okay. Upper, lower jaw, that sort of thing. And what happened? is that both Emma and I began to look forward to this routine two times every day. That's and within, within about a week, I was saying, okay, palate now, and she would actually open her mouth for me. She would ease the jaw and allow me to stroke her palate. Uh -huh. That is so beautiful. You know? And it's such a simple thing, you know, simple part of our routine, but to stop and give it that type of attention and thought 
you know, makes it so profound in my mind from, from listening to you. Tell us, okay, right now it's been COVID, but will, is the thought that she will go back to school? Will she continue with therapy? So, so right now I've, I've stopped going to physical therapy with them. I, I, I sort of didn't explain everything, but Em is, is bedridden. She's immobile. Um, she doesn't know how to turn over in bed or sit up or hold herself up. But she has developed the ability to move her arms and legs. And so I will sing, for example, Incy Wincy Spider. And she must kick her leg in order to get one more sentence, one uh-huh. more line. I like that. Um, so, so she wants music. You get music, but you have to give me what I need first. So there's a cause and effect kind of thing mm-hmm. that we do. That works great. And because she likes sound so much, a lot of it is either affection. I'll kiss you, I'll hug you, I'll lift you, I'll spin with you, I'll, I'll swing you in the hammock, that sort of thing. Um, or I'll do musical things with you. Um, so we do have many things that we have integrated into the way we live, which came from our physical therapy practice. And we've done that with the early intervention and physical therapy people. They've said, you know, Marsh, um, we had to find ways to manage budget as well. And so some of the things they said was, you all actually do a whole lot every day. So your child isn't only getting therapy when they come to, to, to me. Continue doing this, and we will check in with you on a less frequent well, basis. I think that's very smart. Plus, I think it's very ethical, and I think that that should probably happen more often. Um, very frequently, parents, you know, need the therapist to to guide them more often. But there's so many things, like you're saying, in your day to day life that you can incorporate. And I also like the idea of looking at your environment. And what you can do there to help motivate or stimulate her from making, yeah. you know, creating a sensory environment for her with music, because that's what she likes. Um, yes. For some children, it might be more visual. It just depends on, on the child. But tell me, yeah. tell me what you do for, obviously, you mm. don't get a lot of sleep. So tell me how you manage that or, or things you do for yourself to help take care of yourself so that you can be there for Emmy. Um, life has been evolving in a way that I didn't expect. Um, back when it just happened, I think I felt very, very hopeless. I felt like the bottom had fallen out of my world. I really wasn't too sure what hope there was because I was saying goodbye to all my dreams for Emmy. Um, and I thought that with those dreams also had gone all of the hope I had to provide a good life for my son and for myself and my husband when we retire, etc. But I took a little step back, you know, you get used to what you're living over time and, um, we've continued to adapt. And one thing that kept knocking on the inside of me was, when Emmy got hurt, I went looking for a book um, that could tell me what to do next, that could help me to make some sense. And I couldn't find that book. And I something told me, Marsha, you need to write this book for anybody else who's starting to walk this path. But I didn't have the confidence that somebody like me could do that. 
And a um, couple of years ago, I decided, you know, Marsh, if you want, when you pass on, what's going to happen to him? Because our finances sort of got depleted just in seeing about the expenses after Emmy was hurt and then just maintaining her care now. It it takes everything we have. Um, if I And I want more. I want more out of life for her, for my son, for us. Um, so I actually started a little business. And I didn't have much time to do the business. But last year, I woke up one morning and I had very clearly a voice in my head. And it said, you have to write your book and you have to start today. Um, and a month before I had met a book coach and we had, we had hit it off mm -hmm. and I had interviewed her as a way to motivate my students to get up and feel motivated to do what they had to do. It felt like everything had been aligning. And so I started every week I would write one chapter. And about four months later, I had the book and it was done. And then the, the book publisher said, I've been reading the chapters you sent to me. Could I publish your book? That was like amazing. I didn't pitch any publication. I didn't wow. pitch it and I didn't ask anybody to publish it because I didn't have the confidence yet. Mm -hmm. But it sort of fell into place. And the book is called Lighting the Path. Leaning into Hope for Special Needs Parents. Um, and in that book, I cover chapter by chapter the feelings we have of isolation, of loss of grief, of anger, of hope, of joy, of having said goodbye to your own dreams. And I'm reminding people in there that your dreams also count. You don't have to say goodbye to them. Your child and you, the care of your child is only a part of you. And your child deserves more of you than just a part of you. Ah, oh, I love that. You know, but it takes, it takes, you have to fight to find that time mm -hmm. to find yourself again. So this year I actually started, because of that book, I started to push forward on my, on my business journey to be a coach, etc. I did an interview with somebody who asked me about M. I have no idea how, but when I did that interview, I think the next day we had like 700 views or 1,700 views. I can't remember numbers, but many views, considering that I didn't do any kind of, I didn't tell anybody I had a, an interview. And from some those people who listened, I got a call from somebody. Somebody sent me a message. And they said, would you be my coach? And I was like, I didn't ask anybody if I could be their coach. And this person was saying, would you be my coach? So I got my first, first coaching client from just telling the truth about what my dreams were for him. Oh, that is beautiful. Well, I hope people listening tonight, if anyone has that need, that they will reach out to you. Could you tell us uh, how we can find your book and how people can find you? Yes, the the book is going to be launched on the 1st of June. And I do have a Facebook author page. It's my, my name, followed by the word author. Okay. And 
I also have a website, which is Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A-N-B, MarciaNB.com. And in there, you can sign up for my newsletter where I'll give you updates about the book. Okay. Well, I will put that information on the show notes for this podcast so people can also find it there, aside from listening to what you just said. Ilana, you were mentioning that, you know, people whose children do see might need, might, might want to include sensory things, um, things where you can use your eyes. Um, so some of the things I do, because Emmy has the ability to see the red and yellow, we think. So I do like these, um, these textures, texture cards for her. So yeah, we can definitely use all of the senses. Texture cards that have chenille sticks on them mm-hmm. or cotton or sandpaper. And sometimes we integrate them into a photo. So we make a picture and we put different textures on there so that she gets to feel the different feelings. Uh, what does she love the most? Yeah, I know she loves music, but are there other sort of toys or? She, she loves music. Um, there's, you know, sound puzzles from, from, um, what's the name? Oh, yeah, Melissa and Doug. Melissa and Doug. I was thinking, yeah, yeah they're right. very well known. Yes. She loves her sound puzzles, the one with the musical instruments. Wow. Um, and the one with the farm animals. Mm-hmm. Every night we have a routine with the farm animals. We say goodnight to each one of the farm animals. And then each of us, we, we four of us, my son, my husband, myself, and Em, we sit with them to say prayers and to go through all the farm animals and say, um, Daddy, what does Rooster say? Mommy, what does Piggy say? Et cetera, et cetera. And we make our own sounds. And then we'll say, so who do you think is going to say goodnight tonight? And and Emmy takes turns and she says what she thinks. Now, all that she thinks is always going to sound like ah, right? <laughs> but <laughs> but she says her sound and she knows exactly who. And then daddy will just say, ah, I think Emmy is saying it's piggy tonight. And she will laugh. And then we turn the light off and we see who's going to make the sound tonight. Ah, oh, that is beautiful. Well, that is so beautiful. I love that she is such a big part of your routine and you bring her into everything you're doing, you know, the prayers at night, the choices that you make. And I'm not pointing out any one family that doesn't do that enough or anything like that. I don't have anybody in mind. Yeah. But I think we just get so you know, stuck in our routines. And it's almost, I mean, Emmy seems like this incredible, beautiful soul and a gift Mm -hmm. to not only you, but now to so many people hearing about her. And it's something you probably could have never imagined. No, that's true. Uh, Emmy's teaching so much. She's teaching us in, in in our home so much and, and now I know she's teaching many more people and the biggest lesson that we've been learning from M is it came from an experience that I had um, a lot of parents like us we have lower back pain because it's a lot of lifting plus yes. a lot of stress and I had extremely bad back pain uh, one day but I was alone home with them and I had to give her a bath. So I picked her up, even though my back was sending sciatica pain down my legs. Mm. 
And I dragged my feet and I did everything I had to do. And by the time I got back to the bedroom to dry her off and dress her, I couldn't move. And I lay there on the bed next to her and I started to cry. And it was it was such a terrible cry, you know, the screaming kind of cry, the hopeless one. And I was so sorry and broken that day. It was my pain. It was me feeling fair because I didn't know how long I could keep doing this for him, you know, and um, crying because I had lost so much that I wanted for my daughter. And I, I didn't know what future there was going to be for her. And I was so, you know, broken. And in the middle of my huge cry, when I couldn't bear it anymore, Emma started to do a huge laugh. <laughs> and, and that huge laugh just made me cry even more, right? Because there isn't, I, I, I wanted somebody to say, okay, it's okay, right? Right. And Emmy was just laughing and I was writing the book. And I realized because I was writing the book, I realized the lesson came. That I was crying for what I perceived her to have lost. And my daughter didn't realize she had lost anything. Right. Because she was living in joy every single second. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest lesson that any of us could learn. Yes, to live in joy. Um, my my most recent, I like to look, leave little tidbits of wisdom that I've picked up along the way. Not that I'm so wise, but <laughs> but you know you pick up. I'm from sure a, you pick them up. Yeah, <laughs> you pick up from everybody. But um, my most recent was to choose joy over worry. I feel the truth of that. That's so true. Because mm-hmm. if if we worry. What happens? We sh- we shut ourselves down. We get so stressed, and yes. everything disappears while we worry. And after we finish worrying, have we fixed anything? No. no. Situation is exactly the same. And by the way, I have developed sciatica myself wow. <laughs> from from picking up a lot of little children. Right. So I'm working on that too. So I think it's part of the territory. We have to take good care of ourselves. And it makes us stop and, and do that. So I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. And as I mentioned before, I hope people will hear you and reach out to you. And even those who just want to listen, you know, I'm sure it's had a profound effect. So did they, from the bottom of my heart, I really thank you for reaching out to me and spending this uh, time with me this evening. Ilana, it's been my pleasure. Um, it was an unexpected pleasure to be invited to to, to speak with you. Um, sharing Emmy's story brings me a lot of joy to realize that, you know, things can go wrong, but from those challenges can grow so much beauty. Um, and the big lesson always is connection, joy, service to others, hope. And those are the things that I think you are sharing through your podcast. You're making a big difference, and I plan to be diving right in. Okay, well, thank you so much, and keep spreading your your story. Thanks, Elana. Have a good evening. Thank you for listening and sharing. I really appreciate your helping me spread tips that might be of help to someone you know. 
And remember that why is not near as important as what and how. Have a special day.